Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit, Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. Jithendra, thank you so much for joining Chicago Capital. It's a true pleasure to have you here. Hey, Matt. Uh, delighted. Uh, thanks for the um, time. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So I know you're not physically located in Chicago. I think you're up in Milwaukee. Is it as cold up there as it is down here? <laughs> Definitely, it's, uh, yeah. It's I would say probably colder, maybe less windy. So, but it's pretty much the same here, uh, Milwaukee and Chicago. I've been in Cleveland before this uh, for a number of years, and uh, there uh, more snow, less less cold. I guess I would say, yeah. You've really hit all the bases on the <laughs> the Midwest <laughs> misery train. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And uh, for um, someone coming from, in, uh, I'm originally from India, so uh, I could imagine uh, like uh, <laughs> coming to the Midwest. So yeah, yeah, a bit of a change of pace weather-wise, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. Well, it's great to have you on. I think I always like to start these with a bit of background about yourself, and then about part analytics and what you're all building there. Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, as I mentioned earlier, so. Originally from India, uh, came to the United States uh, to for my master's. I went to Auburn University down uh, in Alabama. Spent a couple of years there and uh, uh, grew. I, I guess kind of uh, football is foreign to me, so learned a ton. College football. Uh, I'm a passionate fan now. Uh, uh, and from Auburn, I got an opportunity to join um, GE Healthcare. So that's where I moved from. Uh, a warmer, decent weather to uh, the Midwest region and the cold, cold weather. Um, so it, it was in 20, 2006 timeframe. So I started as a design engineer at GE, spent a number of years designing MRI scanners, and sp uh, spent some years in uh, global sourcing. And uh, that's when I thought uh, I really like the business side of things. I also wanted to hone my skills better on that side and uh, joined Booth uh, in 2017. And, uh, and then uh, as I was based in Milwaukee, we used to carpool uh, for the weekend program, and uh, we always uh, had these conversations. Hey, we really need to do something, uh, start a business, a lot of different idea ideas back and forth. And one day, I was like, um, in sourcing uh, within like a large company like GE, uh, we had a huge challenge. Right, we are we are usually measured on delivering a lot of savings, mitigating supply risk, and things like that. And we had a huge challenge where we really had to double the productivity and savings and things like that. And we really didn't have the tools and the processes needed to do that. And I thought, uh, why not address uh, solve a problem that I'm facing in my day-to-day -day job? And that's how the idea for Partnernetic started. Uh, me and the co-founder, Jessel, who was doing something similar, more on the electromechanical type of components at GE. 
Um, so we uh, wrote up a business plan. Uh, we were aware of NVC at Booth, and uh, we submitted for NVC, got selected, uh, and reached the top ten uh, that year uh, in NVC. And that's kind of, uh, uh, I'd say, that's the beginning of the business. And then uh, after graduating from Booth, um, we raised our um, first round of capital from Idea Fund of Lacrosse, based in Wisconsin and uh, kind of uh, came full, uh, full-time full on the venture. And it's been uh, three years, and uh, uh, last year we did our second round, $3 million round, uh, added uh, several customers both on uh, enterprise side. Uh, we predominantly focus on the manufacturing companies, so that's our uh, target area. Well, that's the first time I've ever heard of a startup being founded in the carpool on the way to Booth. So that is definitely a uh, an all-time founding moment, and I love it. Um, <laughs> I guess from definitional standpoints, it'd be helpful to maybe walk listeners through, um, you know, exactly what you mean when you talk about sourcing. You know, what was your role at GE? And I guess this gets into part analytics. How are you helping these enterprise customers? What type of sourcing are you helping with? And um, we can just walk through you know, the use case that these customers are, are getting out of the product. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when we t- think about uh, sourcing um, for uh, global manufacturing companies, uh, there's kind of predominantly two different areas of focus. One is uh, direct sourcing or direct material sourcing. So anything that companies uh, uh, procure or buy from suppliers that goes into their product. If you can imagine a medical device, the parts and things that they buy to make the device um, that's typically uh, managed by a sourcing team in terms of identifying the right suppliers for those parts, uh, negotiating contracts, negotiating pricing, managing supply risk for those parts. Um, so that's kind of a typical responsibility for a sourcing function. And the other big for a part of sourcing is indirect sourcing. That's kind of anything that companies buy that doesn't go into a product. It could be travel and living. It could be papers, office supply, and things like that. Uh, so my role when I was in G is more on the direct sourcing side. And uh, the challenges are uh, to think about uh, uh, sourcing uh, for manufacturing companies, all the innovation that has happened in the digital transformation and things like that, like finance is kind of the top of the heap on maybe sales and other uh, areas or other functional areas. Sourcing and procurement is kind of at the bottom or like more like behind uh, in terms of catching up to that. Uh, and then within that, uh, indirect sourcing has been the focus for a number of years. There's a lot of tools and functionality like that came uh, came about that address to uh, improve the efficiencies, digitize the process, and things like that. But direct sourcing is predominantly still run by spreadsheets, emails. Um, so, and especially around electronics, now everyone is kind of familiar with the challenges in the electronic supply chain, uh, part shortages, and things like that. Um, uh, so the, the issue or reason being, it's very complex supply chain. There is multiple players involved. Uh, if you think about a, a finished device manufacturer like a GE, they typically have multiple tiers of suppliers that are providing all the uh, goods and supplies they need to make the product. And a lot of times, uh, the collaboration and the communication that happens between all these players in the market um, is still very archaic and uh, manual process. But the, so the other piece is the visibility to the data, right? So as a, someone that's buying these products and uh, supplies, they may not necessarily know how much they are paying at the bar, uh, item level, part number level. They may not have visibility to risk, which creates all these uh, issues where everyone is facing part shortages now, right? Uh, that they can't find parts to ship their products. 
So that's kind of the problem or issue. And uh, the way we are uh, addressing with some of our use cases is, uh, first thing is getting that visibility to the data, right? Uh, deeper into the supply chain, not just what they're buying immediately, but multiple years down the supply chain. Uh, actually going to the, if you probably heard about this uh, term a lot nowadays is chips or semiconductors, for example. It's, it's a component that goes into a circuit board that goes into a medical device, right? So getting that visibility down to that component level, uh, not just pricing, but risk, and giving proactive insights on what could happen so they can at least uh, try to address it uh, uh, before it happens. And now it's kind of everyone is in that uh, phase where uh, Everyone is trying to find parts. One of the ways our software is helping them is actually automating the process. Imagine a sourcing person trying to find 100,000, 10,000 parts, and they are doing like manual searches one part at a time. The way our software helps is scale that up, where they can upload their entire list of parts, and our software keeps track of our monitors inventory in the market and gives them daily alerts on what new inventory showed up. So that's been a use case that's really helping a lot of our customers mitigate millions of dollars of revenue risk. Because even if a component that's uh, like a 50 cents a dollar, it's not available to make the product, it's millions of dollars of revenue risk for them. So in terms of the functionality, do you go after um, downstream producers in the sense that in terms of a supply chain, does the product become more powerful if every piece of the supply chain is audit? How are you kind of going about acquiring customers in that sense and, and making the tool more powerful, um, you know, in terms of, of who you're actually getting on part analytics and, and how they're sort of utilizing it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. As I mentioned, so there's uh, multiple tiers right here. Uh, so we typically call OEMs or the, like the GEs of the world. Then there's the contract manufacturers who are tier one suppliers. If you think about an iPhone, Foxconn is a contract manufacturer for Apple, right? So they make the they manufacture the product or the phone, and then there's uh, suppliers below that, the component manufacturers and distributors. So who we target? Uh, we target the OEMs, the and um, the device makers, as well as the contract manufacturers. Uh, in terms of the when I say visibility, uh, what our software does is uh, enrich what our data the OEMs have, right? Add the component level data and. Uh, inventory information, technical specifications, pricing, lead times, and things like that. So on the other end, we are gathering data from uh, hundreds of sources or suppliers and enriching the OEM uh, data to give them that insights. The other piece is the collaboration. As I mentioned, a lot of these activities are still kind of uh, manual. So we are uh, digitizing the process of collaboration uh, between OEMs and the tier one suppliers. So the, a lot of the data exchange instead of Excel, they can actually uh, uh, communicate through our platform, automate the data exchange, uh, which saves a lot of time, uh, efficiency improvements for uh, for both parties. So was 2021 kind of just a massive accelerant to your business? I mean, I, I have to imagine this has never been more topical, um, you know, what you are all building. So would love to hear how the current supply chain crisis uh, ha has impacted your business uh, and, and how companies are responding to it, in your opinion? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's been overall, uh, I think right now, as everyone knows, supply chain is at the top of uh, the mind for everyone uh, at the C-suite level as well. Uh, so overall, I think we had a, a good year in terms of adding uh, marquee customers like um, a Fortune 500 companies like Emerson, uh, Hologic, and other others like that, and uh, even contract manufacturers. And 
they are really seeing the benefits of this digitization, but also uh, uh, this insights that our platform provides um, to address their challenges. Um, so it's been great. And uh, we even received comments from our customers that how did, like even the name we came up with, like we wanted to call this internally the same thing. How did you come up with that? So it's been like great feedback and uh, uh, the right timing in terms of like what we are after in the space. Um, and so, and we still have a long way to go getting great feedback from our customers, additional functionality and things like that. Uh, that's driving our roadmap to really uh, make our software part of the day-to-day uh, new way of operating for our customers. And from a competitive standpoint, um, you know, where are you seeing the big, biggest competitive areas? And I, I feel like I hear blockchain thrown around a lot with supply chain issues. So um, is that something you guys have looked into for yourselves? Is it something you're seeing, uh, you know, from a competitive standpoint? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, how you're sort of looking at the blockchain um, with respect to what you're building? Yeah. Uh, so I would say from uh, procurement and sourcing standpoint, that's still a ways out. Uh, uh, the first step is actually digitization and getting the data in one place where it's all like 10 different places, spreadsheets, uh, laptops, all over the place, right? So being able to seamlessly ingest all that data and, and then make sense of it, that's kind of step one. Um, and uh, in terms of the competitive landscape, as I mentioned earlier, there's been a lot of innovation uh, on the indirect space, right? Uh, there's a lot of solutions, uh, solution providers, software providers, and uh, the indirect sourcing space. Direct sourcing has kind of been lagging behind in, from that standpoint uh, because of the complexities involved. It's not as simple as buying a pen or a paper. Buying a component that goes into a medical device, there's a lot of uh, things that uh, that come with that, right? The quality of it, the supplier quality and things like that. So uh, it's a little bit more complex. So you really need to have a solution that can go deeper into that space, not just some uh, solution that's kind of broader. You cannot just take it and apply it to direct sourcing. Uh, so that's where the uh, opportunity is for us is to kind of uh, be in this space, go deeper and address the different use cases uh, for our end customers. Uh, so in terms of the opportunities, right, or the landscape, collaboration is key. First thing is enabling, bringing all these different uh, 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 players in this market onto one, uh, one area, like collaborate more seamlessly and being able to share data more seamlessly to bring that visibility. And then uh, uh, the insight space, now we have all this data, then it's not just like, okay, I have all this data, what do I, I do with this, right? So then uh, making the data more insightful, okay, here is your business impact, here is what you need to do versus here you go, all the data, and then you go figure it out, right? So that's where I feel like collaboration insights or information, right, that can help people act and uh, make better, uh, better, like I said, uh, business decisions. So those are the two areas we are focused on. Um, and, uh, and then down the line, yeah, applying, um, we already have some of the algorithms and things like that on MIA, um, so machine learning and AI, things like that. But uh, there's still a lot of scope uh, on that side. Can you talk a bit about the revenue model, how you're charging customers um, and uh, you know what that may look like in the future? Yeah, so we typically sign like multi-year, like three-year contracts with our enterprise customers and uh, um, it's tied to kind of the, we have different modules uh, for different use cases within the enterprise company. So it's based on modules and number of users. 
um, uh, that's kind of a uh, model that we have. And uh, uh, down the line, I guess, uh, we kind of try to uh, maybe start with a single use case and then build on top of it and grow the account that way. Um, and uh, there's uh, additional opportunities for innovation in terms of business models around payments and things like that, that some of the folks are doing on the indirect side. Um, but that's still uh, an opportunity area on the direct side. And you mentioned you recently fundraised. So what are kind of the big growth initiatives that you have in place for 2022? Yeah, and definitely. I think uh, the focus for this year is uh, really driving our uh, sales and uh, marketing and sales activities. Uh, so uh, we have like this market customers in different industries, whether it's medical devices, industrial manufacturing, um, aerospace manufacturing and uh, uh, telecommunications and things like that. So uh, now it's more about uh, generating awareness. We are a new player in this space. Uh, so really kind of getting in front of people that uh, that need these types of solutions, right? Uh, so that's uh, that's our focus. So really kind of, uh, we had a good year last year. Now it's um, uh, continuing to build on that and uh, growing the team. We actually, uh, I think, uh, 100% growth in terms of uh, our team um, team size, and we are still hiring. So uh, that's been uh, uh, challenging hiring. So everyone is uh, uh, it's uh, it's a tough market to to get talent. So um, we're trying to work through that, but uh, it's been great. Uh, uh, this gives us an opportunity for people to work on a new technology in the space and uh, work at a company that's. Uh, uh, like rapidly kind of uh, adapting and uh, building uh, exciting products for the customers. And what's it been like kind of running the company from Milwaukee? Uh, I think you're the first founder on the show who, whose business is sort of, you know, centered around Milwaukee. Um, I have to imagine there's probably a good deal of um, synergies from being located in the Midwest in the procurement space, but just curious about Milwaukee as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's Yeah, not quite as big as Chicago or other big cities, but there is still a lot of activity and support mechanisms here. So, so there's the organizations uh, uh, that are focused on supporting startups here. And there's also good industrial base, right? We have companies, uh, whether it's GE or other big companies that are based here, uh, more industrial manufacturers and uh, uh, companies such as such. Um, and then uh, organizations like Generator and other uh, startup accelerators that have been... Uh, instrumental or helpful early in our journey to really connecting us to the right people and to be able to raise capital and things like that. So it's been overall a great few years here. Um, and even the support from the state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, kind of uh, helping startups, whether it's uh, funding or other types of resources, uh, tech symposiums and things like that. So it, it's been great. And, um, and uh, there's also good support from the corporates here, right? So they are trying to see how, uh, because it's in their best interest to also attract talent uh, to Milwaukee to support their growth as well. So they have been very um, uh, engaged and uh, instrumental in driving some of that. And I think sometimes it's also helpful to talk through the size of a market opportunity, especially I think in industries that may be unsexy or that listeners may have not heard about before. I think it's also really great to kind of to contextualize for people how big this market is and why, you know, all of you decided to dedicate, um, you know, your, 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 the first years out of booth to this opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, uh, if you just think about just electronics, right. So that itself, sometimes it's uh, hard to imagine, but 
it's been growing right nowadays anything you buy typically has electronics and uh, just that itself few years back like 1.6 trillion dollars spent on electronics uh, right uh, so that's a huge opportunity in terms of how much is spent and uh, and even in autos or cars or different industries like the amount of electronics the content is been going up right it's a huge area and uh, and you can see the effects of it right when there's shortages uh, that impacts every uh, walk of life right so um, so this is exciting area. Uh, I know it's uh, in terms of industries, it's kind of may not be the sexier like uh, high tech type of industries, but uh, it's something that's really needed uh, to really transform the way um, the companies do business, and uh, it's a huge opportunity. Nope. Personally, I completely agree with you. I think sometimes the unsexiest businesses can have the longest, uh, longest running problems, deeply felt, and massive, massive TAMs. Um, so uh, it's that's what personally excites me as a VC. Those are the type of industries I always like to look at. Um, yeah. So, so I love it. Um, and I guess you know one of the final questions I, I always love to hear is um, your experience at Booth, your experience in Chicago. Um, how do you feel that that Booth prepared you to be a founder, um, and uh, and what are some of you know the biggest lessons um, you learned uh, that have helped you today? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. <laughs> Sometimes I think about that, like uh, what would I have done? Would I have done this like if I didn't go to Booth and those types of questions, right? And uh, I think the Booth experience really kind of honed my kind of. Uh, thought process and uh, even the network piece of it, right? The, the, some of the classes I've taken and the relationships I've built from that um, and professors that have been really supportive. Um, so I've taken classes um, like um, entrepreneurial finance and private equity uh, with uh, Professor Steve Kaplan, um, who is an advisor to us. So, uh, so uh, or even uh, other there's like great professors at Booth, right? So. Uh, I, I could really go back and think like uh, when I was negotiating a term sheet, uh, some of the things that I learned in EFP, uh, entrepreneurial finance class, I was used a lot of those things uh, in my negotiations um, or even fundraising and things like that. So uh, the whole experience participating in NVC was really awesome just to kind of go through that. And uh, uh, it's a three month rigorous process, but that really kind of, I, I think uh, helped us to really hone our business model, business case and uh, get this going um so i think it's been a huge part and uh i'm really fortunate to be able to i guess uh do that and uh to have those relationships and uh and the advisors that i had yeah no i as i always say sometimes uh this podcast really i have to i have to hear someday what it's done for booth enrollment because every founder that i have on the show uh has nothing but good things to say about the business school experience and and you know Chicago booth as well, and I've had some Kellogg founders on the show. I mean, we definitely we definitely have mixed it up a little bit, but uh, the praise is yeah. always just a bit more enthusiastic for booth. <laughs> I gotta say, just a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jethender, I want to thank you so much for hopping on the show. It's been a true blast, um, and it, it's always fun to hear about um, you know industries and problems like this that I think many people aren't aware of, and they're not aware of um, sometimes the companies that are really building innovative solutions um, in these spaces. So I want to thank you for hopping on the show. It's been a true blast, and we can't wait to have you on again in the future uh, after next round of fundraising, fundraising, or you know, huge milestone. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks, man. Really appreciate the opportunity. Have a good rest of the day.